What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, today, I've got a uh, guest extraordinaire, um, TV personality of note, um, <laughs> a man who still has not explained to me what an editor at large is. And um, I uh, and a guy who is now an author. It is my dear, dear friend Tim Miller. Hello, Tim. Hey, Jeff. Good to be back on the Mortcast. At, at large, if you add "at large" to the end of your title of writer or editor, uh-huh. it, it only means two things. One, you're kind of large and in charge, which is like mm-hmm. a little bit more important than being just an editor or writer. And then the other thing is you can kind of write and edit for other places. So, you know, it's sort of like the Tim Connolly deal, uh, where why we didn't get a draft pick back for him because, you know, he cut into his contract that he could, he could talk to other teams. It's just sort of, you know, lets me talk to other teams. Let me, lets me talk to other outlets from time to time. Yeah. Like this one, like, you like could, this one. Yeah. So you could talk to this one about to your heart's content about the depressing Denver nuggets. Um, now, uh, before we get started, um, I said, author of note, uh, Mr. Mr. Miller here is, uh, going to have a book released very very soon i'm very excited for this i've already pre-ordered it as other people should uh tim why don't you explain to them the title uh what it's about when it comes out everything they need to know about this book uh thank you jeff i'm so excited about it uh it was my first book it was uh, it was it was a huge undertaking um and you know it was very different from what i've done before just having to have a project that takes that long and i, I tried to answer the question a lot of people asked me mm-hmm. um why you know i used to be for people who haven't listened to the past episodes with me on the podcast i used to be a republican operative left the party over trump you know became a writer um and and tv and other and other uh kind of various content uh items uh you know content creation uh and 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 people always say to me why did the people who knew better go along with it right like you know that in washington there are people that are you know greedy you knew that there were some people who liked the fact that trump was an asshole you knew the fact that there were some sociopaths but we all know if you read any other book by any reporter you, we all know that in private most of the republicans in dc didn't like him and knew that he was dangerous and knew that he was bad and so the question is why did they go along with it anyway and there are a lot of answers to that but i so i interviewed a lot of my my former colleagues i reflected back on why i worked for candidates at times that 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 were contrary to my values on various issues um, particularly gay issues so i get into that a little bit um what, what how my being a gay republican paralleled to how people who knew trump was bad you know but sticking with the party um, you know, continue to be Trump Republicans. Uh, so it is uh, some of the some of their excuses are funny. So there's some funny elements to it. Some of their excuses are depressing. So they're depressing elements to it. Mm-hmm. Some of their some of their reasons are very interesting and challenge and I think challenge people from different political perspectives to kind of think about you know why people do what they do in politics. So it's a uh, it's 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 a little bit of an insider's book about politics, but I, I really tried to write it so people that you know aren't involved. In politics day to day, kind of gain some understanding of what it's like behind the curtain, why people do what they do, and so why we did it. Uh, it's out June twenty eighth. You can pre order it now on Amazon. Um, I'm having a book event in Denver in July, um, which maybe we can, you know, maybe I'll come back on before mm-hmm. that or something, so we can pimp it, um, and uh, so people can come out if they want. And uh, and yeah, I think uh, no, not not. I don't think there's any Nuggets references in there. Um, now that I think about it, I tried to jam in little Easter eggs for people, but I don't know that I, I don't know that I made it, didn't manage to get any nuggets metaphors in there to my that's, recollection. That's so disappointing, Tim. I, now, now I'm regretting <laughs> I'm pre-ordering the book. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yes, uh, uh, July 21st uh, for that uh, out here. And uh, I will uh, be, of course, it'll be a very nice um five days after my birthday uh present there perfect so, <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great my daughter will be there in her yoke jersey she just got a new yoke jersey she grew out of the last one so nice. you know we will uh, uh we can we can have our nuggets why we did a crossover event 
um, in Denver in, in July the 21st. My CSG pod, my CSG politics uh, co-host uh, Pat Garen's a big fan of yours. So I, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's also ordered a pre-ordered a book too. Great. So, um, so anyway, so uh, thanks to uh, Tim for that. I, I wanted him to, uh, to publicize his book. So, but the, really the real reason anytime Tim is on here is to talk about our Denver Nuggets. And of course, uh, one of the reasons Tim's on is because he noticed, um, how would you say this, how um, uh, down in the dumps uh, Denver media is right now for the Tim Connolly thing. Down in the dumps is an understatement. <laughs> I was, we were on suicide watch for some of the Nuggets beat reporters over this Tim Connolly news. And, you mm. know, everybody was, was extremely depressed, was dour devastated i'm trying to think of other other d words um but boy it was uh despondent despondent <laughs> yeah mass despondency across the denver media landscape so i i just i don't know i, I had a little bit of a different view oh yeah you do and so i'm gonna get uh, tim's gonna act as ballast to my um i said in my last podcast that uh, one of the one of the many reasons i stopped writing is because i got i felt i was too close to tim Connolly. And I couldn't be objective anymore. So I, I just didn't think I could do that. So rather than give up a, what I was thinking was a friendship with Tim, I gave up writing. Um, and, and quite frankly, I wasn't getting paid for writing anyway. So it doesn't, care, it doesn't matter. But uh, one would say that may have contributed to me um, <laughs> not, not wanting to write anymore. Uh, but on the other side of that, yes, I, wa- I want to give us like a little setup here. Uh, to like backtrack to, to hopefully people are aware at this point if you're listening to this freaking podcast that uh tim Connolly took the minnesota t- team president job for 40 million dollars for five years um and an equity stake in the minnesota timberwolves and that's like having um in my view it's kind of like having equity in the biggest trash pile but i mean there's the there's that <laughs> So, I mean, it depends on what level of ownership you want, right? Um, I mean, the worst dumpster town company is still pretty good to be a minority owner in it. You know, they're still making money. It's very true. So whether you want to be classy or not, we're classy here in Denver. So um, Tim uh, has been seeing our reactions. And my reaction was it sort of explained in my last podcast. But um, basically, it's the Stan Kroenke, let it get to the point where it did. Um, that's the disappointing part for me that he let it get to the, the Stan Kroenke thing where he just let the contract basically expire, even though Tim Connolly had an option near your next year. And I think that that part was for me, very disappointing along with being personally biased towards Tim Connolly. So Mr. Miller, I want you to kind of act as the other end of this, um, not in a, uh, not in a you're idiot you uh, for Tim way, but you're uh, for or like having this these these despondent feelings for Tim, but maybe in a more objective way. So bring that objectivity to me right now, Tim. Yeah, or maybe it's not objectivity. And we were texting about this and talking about the podcast. What I said is, I I make a comparison to politics, um, and this will be my last politics comment on this, but I think it's relevant <laughs> to the book conversation and to what we're talking about, which is there are times when you get inside a bubble and you can be too too close to something you know and and there are other times where being inside the bubble gives you a special insight into something right that other the people outside can't see right and so i heard this all the time from pod my friends outside politics would would message me and say oh why is why is so-and-so saying this you know it's so obvious that they should do that they should do that i'd say well well you're not considering like the negative feedback that they'll get on the other side you're right like you're not considering all the angles of this you don't exactly know how the process works but then there are other times i think where people inside the bubble in politics would say oh, we can't, you know, you're seeing this right now with the gun reform stuff, right? Like we can't do anything, right? Like we can't, you know, we've already tried and we know it's not going to work. And you get inside this bubble and you get jaded and, and, and you see, um, you know, to, you, you know, you see a certain, you know, uh, um, perspective uh, about how people work and you decide something can't be done where someone from the outside has a little more clarity, <laughs> right? right? And they can say, right. well, actually, have you thought about this? Um, and so I don't know what the situation is with Connolly, but 
I felt like from the outside, I had, I had at least from one, one perspective, a bit of clarity. Maybe I'm not seeing everything that's happening behind the scenes and all the red flags. We can talk about those, right. but, but the, the positive side of this, I was looking at with, with the Connolly move is one, uh, you know, Connolly is a loyal guy, a very loyal guy. I mm-hmm. think loyal to a fault a little mm-hmm. bit at times. Right. And when you looked at the decisions with this roster and I just don't know that having somebody else with fresh eyes, maybe not as fresh eyes. He's going to be replaced by Calvin Booth, who's assistant, former NBA player, uh, but who seems like a really sharp guy. Love that the, the Nuggets have a black executive. Uh, there's There should be more of that in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can have somewhat fresh eyes, somewhat a desire to make their own mark, right? Maybe you're going to be a little more aggressive, which I think the Nuggets could use right now. We're in the middle of Jokic's peak. We just wasted one of Jokic's peak years. You know, maybe we could be a little bit more aggressive at getting better people around him. Um, and... And the other thing is Connolly for all of his strengths, um, a great draft. I, we can, I'd love to go through his resume a little bit, has some great strengths. I have nothing against him. Connolly. I don't know him like you, um, but he's a human. He's flawed. He had some misses. Um, and, and I think the prime miss, which is relevant to this year is that, um, you know, the roster that was constructed around Jokic, I had a lot of flaws. I and mean, there was obviously, you know, Tim Conley couldn't have predicted that his two second and third best player were going to get hurt, of course, but he surely could have predicted that Jokic was going to need more uh, perimeter defense around him, that Jokic is going to be need more um, uh, shooting around him, that maybe, you know, having 19 slow power forwards was not the ideal uh, complement to Nikola Jokic's skill set, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously there we can go through some of these individually uh you know there are explanations for each for for the moves that, that he made but i i don't you know I, this was a guy who, who had some really great drafts um if you look at 2000 is it 14 to 16 or 14 to 17 or 13 to 17 there's like a three four year draft window that's just remarkable i mean mm-hmm. un uncomparable um mm-hmm. you know yeah. going from the gary harris draft you know up through um I mean, uh, uh porter uh but uh, but Okay, that was you know since since then um, you know there have been some there have been some misses and 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 getting fresh eyes might not be the worst thing in the world. I I don't disagree with that. Um, I don't know if Calvin. I I like that Calvin will bring a different perspective, but I don't necessarily know anything about Calvin. Um, he's been involved with decisions, but we don't know what to what extent. Um, Tim was the final say. Tim and Josh Kroenke. Uh, we're the final say on a lot of these moves. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of history he has, particularly since Arturis Karnasovas uh, left uh, and Arturis was a lot more heavily involved in the day-to-day operations of the Denver Nuggets than Calvin was. So um, I'm just, that's kind of up in the air. That is my concern, but I don't disagree that there is a, benefit to having someone who is willing to part with a piece that maybe the guy who was there previously was not yeah yeah and we can get into some of those details i just wanted the thing on the too close element of it and again I, tim Connolly, i listened to your podcast on monday sounds like an amazing dude i wish i was friends with tim Connolly. would love to have a beer with him um said so this is not personal at all it's just i'm not in basketball media right so i'm just a guy watching the games on tv and looking at twitter right which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it has a little different perspective and, and you know i see this in in politics with there are certain you know strategists certain famous you know political strategists your david axelrods of the world your steve schmitz your carl roves your, your david pluffs some of them are very good at, at managing relationships with the media um, you know, I can think of one just example I, um, uh, right off the top of my head of one of my old bosses was this strategist who didn't have a great record of winning campaigns, but the media loved him, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he'd get hired by a campaign, they'd get good, they'd get good coverage. So anyway, this is not to say that 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 Connolly isn't good. I'm just saying that like that that consumers of all of this, other Nuggets fans who are watching everybody's despondent, uh, all the media's despondency, might want to take into account that some of the reason not all the reason i think there's some legitimate reasons to be concerned but some of the reason that that people were so effusive in their praise of him and so sad when he left was that like he was really good at relationship building like mm-hmm. he also was pretty good at he also was going to be a gm right but he was really good at that and mm-hmm. and i was seeing a little bit of that 
watching all of it. Uh, it was it was just triggering some memories to politics when I was like, okay, you know, that strategist was pretty good, but I don't know. I think that I think the campaign will be okay without you know without him or her. So, can I again? Uh, let me throw this out there. Yeah, as someone who's covered the Nuggets since Mark Workentine and Rex Chapman were here, I and yeah. Brett Barrett, I got to say. My issue was largely this was kind of like a carbon copy repeat of 2013. It was it was really weird the setup and all this that, that everyone knew that the uh, the wolves were uh, probably going to aggressively pursue him. This was there was a reason he was seen as gettable, and it was the same goddamn thing that it was with Masai. And what bugs me is is not necessarily that they didn't pony up ownership which i i think is was a ridiculous offer by the way by the by the new ownership from uh, the wolves it is um it is that they let it get to the point they, they 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 knew it was coming and didn't care and that is my concern more than anything else i do actually agree with you that i think that tim's tendency to be extremely loyal uh did get in the way i think uh I think we can all point to maybe keeping uh, Will Barton past his expiration date is a very prime example of that. Um, you know, he probably held on to Malik Beasley too long. I mean, when yeah. you think about it, there is things that there are things that could have been done that he didn't because Tim is, as you point out, loyal to a fault. And I don't know. And, and that's something that is going to be interesting to watch when he gets into Minnesota because he has no loyalties to anyone there how, other than Chris Finch, who was an assistant here. Uh, and, of course, the two Nuggets players, uh, former Nuggets players. But it's, it's like there's no real no loyalty there. So I wonder how that situation changes in the sense that same thing with Calvin. I just don't I, – I don't know what Calvin did. And I wish I knew. I wish I knew what Calvin actually did when he was here. Uh, Tommy Balchettis is still here, and I'm sure he'll be promoted or something like that. But I don't think they're going to promote. I think they're going to leave Calvin as GM. So just from the outside looking in, Tim, yeah. that's why that's your an invaluable opinion here. Um, <laughs> looking at the outside looking in, where do you think the big – fault is on the roster or where do you think the biggest need of uh, addressing that tim didn't do that calvin should do or can do yeah well for i, I want to answer that but first i just want to get to the do the cranky thing really quick and, and the Maasai uh ptsd that you have which i think is totally fair uh, the thing that I hate the most about the Nuggets is the Cronkies. Uh, I also don't know them. So it's just an outsider's view, but uh, uh, they don't spend money the way I would like. Um, the yeah. Nuggets seem like the redheaded stepchild of their investment fund. But uh, Josh seems like a nice guy from what I can tell on social media. But, uh, you know, Stan can pound sand as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I understand that criticism. The, the, the Connolly money, though, was ridiculous. You know what I mean? So this is like, I feel like you can carry two thoughts on the same head, which is right. Stan is cheap and they should have given him more money. And also the thought that paying Tim Connolly 40 million and giving him a minority stake in a basketball team like seems absurd. I, yeah. It's just hard to believe that any person, uh, even if you think Tim was the best uh, president of basketball operations in the entire league, would right. be worth that. Um, so anyway. Um, especially when you have limits on the roster. I mean, the Minnesota roster, I mean, you can only tinker, right? You already, I guess, unless you're in a trade cat, you know, you already have cat and ant. So uh, anyway, uh, anyway, um, as far as, as far as this, our roster, the Nuggets roster, I, the thing that Tim's original sin for me is the, again, this comes after just this huge run, right? From the, from the Harris pick and then Murray falls in your lap. That was, that was a little bit lucky. We all wanted Murray to fall to seventh, but, but okay. He makes the right pick there. You get Wancho and, and Beasley in the middle of that round. Um, you'd obviously just picked uh, Jokic and, and Nurkic um, right before that. Um, but uh, you had a little bit of a miss with Moutier, but I, I think a totally reasonable miss there. I, mm -hmm. I wanted Moutier. I remember wanting Moutier with that pick, and there wasn't a ton of great options. I mean, Booker goes later in the round, but uh, so I, I think that everything he does from from thirteen uh, through through sixteen there is, or excuse me, through seventeen is is really good. Then you get to the seventeen draft, end of the end of the sixteen seventeen year, and that is the draft where you trade 
you know, the, the 13th pick, which ends up being Donovan Mitchell, you know, to the jazz in division, horrible. Mm-hmm. And you trade down for Tyler Lydon. I think everybody thinks, and, and you probably have inside knowledge into this, which I don't, everybody assumes that they wanted OG and an OB there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he ends up getting picked one pick before. Um, and so then you panic, um, and then take a panic light and pick. Um, so two, two, the two issues that I just really want to focus on is one, okay, well that, that ends up being, you still have Kuzma and Josh Hart that get taken right after Tyler Lydon, which would have been nice, uh, ads. I don't love Kyle Kuzma, but you know, fit, fit this kind of roster, um, Josh Hart in particular. Um, and, and then the thing is, why did you want OG Ananobi? I think is the bigger question to talk about. It's because we knew all the way back in 2017 that a team around Murray and Jokic needed perimeter wing defenders. Right. Like that is what a three and D wing guys. That's what a team around Jokic and Murray needs. Length, shooting, defense. OG provided all of that. So you don't get them. That's a whiff. But now we're in 2017. That was five years ago. Right. And like since then, like that, that hole has really never been filled. I, you know, you had Gary Harris and you turn him into Gordon, right? So you had one person, right? You had one person that kind of, you know, for a while it was Harris, it was a little undersized. And then you have, you get Jeremy Grant, right? Trade a pick for Jeremy Grant, then Jeremy Grant leaves, right? And then that's not out of Tim's hands, but it happened. You give up a pick and for nothing. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you, you get Gordon by flipping by flipping Gary, but then you have another hole, right? Now you've now you have the kind of the bigger wing defender, but you still don't have a small wing defender right. uh, who can who can do, do three and D. And so so we take five years, and then five years of drafts, five years of signings. You're you know you're signing power forwards, a million power forwards, and a million shrimps in that time, and and you don't fill this very obvious hole that you saw that you were going to need in 2017, and and like that is the thing to me is that is frustrating about the Connolly area which is like he was good at these big taking these big swings in the draft he makes the one big trade with Gordon which is great I love Aaron Gordon but but like filling that hole the very obvious hole that needs to be filled around a team that has Murray and Jokic on it with with their strengths and deficiencies um never happens and so you end up turning uh, um, you know Moutier Beasley Vanderbilt uh, Nurkic, uh, Plumley or not, not Plumley, Nurkic. Uh, I'm forgetting somebody into like nothing except yeah. what Mason Plumley, right? Yeah. And and that I think is okay. Uh, you know, again, not he did a lot of great stuff, but but that that's that's a big miss. And and hopefully, Calvin and whoever can come in here and now have a much clearer role, which is they don't need to make big swings. We have a big core. Like what they need to do is is get guys who fit around the core and not have, you know, Jamichael Greens and Fakus who do nothing um, for mm-hmm. the roster. Mm-hmm. Just one final thing on this, really, really quick, and then I, I'd want your thoughts. Compared to the teams that are doing well in the in the playoffs right now, that are in our conference, Mavericks and Grizzlies. You know, you got the Grizzlies feel like they have nothing but w- big wings on the defense. Desmond Bain is the obvious example. You know. Uh, he gets picked after Zeke Nagy. That was somebody we could have picked. You know, mm-hmm. you have D'Anthony Melton, you have Dylan Brooks, you have Jared Culver, and they have nothing but but three and D wings. Uh, the Mavs, Dorian Finney-Smith, Bullock, Josh Green, Frankie Nicolina, who I don't know how to say his name, is kind of a Gary Harris reboot, right? All those guys seem, and I don't know each each you know transaction, and and Tim has you know salary to concerns to deal with, but but. All these guys seem seem gettable, right? Or, or I mean, not all of them, but like somebody like that seems gettable, and and yeah. he just never did. You know, you know, I think I would agree in a different way that his biggest original sin was the Leiden draft. Um, yeah, that the vibes that night were really weird. I, I, I people have, I mean, if you talk to Nuggets media, they say that that the they tried to make a trade for Kevin Love uh that um was well, i always thought just a quick aside was a weird fit for Jokic too by the yes way. I, I don't i never saw that really as a great fit but anyway go ahead but kevin pritchard the uh, gm or the president at uh, in indiana at the time he's he's suddenly backed out and they were all angsty because of that and then of course they moved back for og ananobi ananobi was i don't uh more of a malone guy um and this is where i'm going to say tim's biggest issue was 
doing things at the behest of Michael Malone and then also doing things that are counter to him. Um, and it's, it's going to sound odd for me to say that, but he, the, what Malone wanted in that 2017 was a wing defender. They tried to go back and get it. And of course, Masai goes, reaches up and gets him like a, a pick before, because that's Masai. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't add the big, the great irony of that whole original <laughs> sin was that it's Masai who steals him from us. Anyway. Right. And I'm, I'm sure, and, and don't think that Masai didn't know that the Nuggets were going to do that coming from 10 miles away. Um, so they do that. It doesn't has to me has nothing to do with Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell's proven himself by the last two years to have been, um, um, not the, the, the bubble player that we, that we thought he was. Oh, and he was not going to be the fit. I know it was always yeah. going to be a trade. I always get annoyed when people are like you traded Mitchell. I, for me, it was annoying that it was in division. Yeah. Um, just in general, but okay. Uh, and, and, and yeah, the OG part was always more for me. It's like, okay, well, we're never going to draft another Jamal Murray. Like what Mitchell and Murray were going to play together is six, one backcourt. Uh, you know, it just doesn't make, make, make any sense. Yeah. And, he, you know, and, and Tory Craig was here and Tory Craig was a find from uh, Tim Connolly's brother, Joe in Australia. And he comes oh, up really? here. Yeah. And he comes up here and uh, Tory was very frustrating in that, um, you could tell every time he was on the floor, uh, Jokic got really frustrated with him in his offense, but he was an okay defender on, on smaller players. He was the smaller, uh, he could really defend smaller wing players, but he was playing above Michael Porter Jr. And sometimes you got to force a coach into uh, playing someone. And I, be- I firmly believe that Torrey Craig later being let go was because of that that was a because of michael malone thing well then last year they come into the into the into the the season with no backup center that was because they wasted two assets on getting isaiah hartenstein and uh javel mcgee who never played (laughs) and so they end up going in without a center and honestly, at this point, at this point, I think maybe the benefit of Calvin Booth is maybe there is more of a clear eyed picture on what the Nuggets need rather than reacting to what the coach maybe wants and doesn't want to happen. So can you just expand on that? What do you think? How do you think that the Malone Connolly thing impacted the 20, this, the 2017 draft then? Oh, not, I, I just wasn't following that. I thought Malone definitely wanted OG Ananobi. Uh, that was very much a advocate. He was advocating for OG Ananobi. But they only went for OG Ananobi after they uh, the 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 Kevin Love thing didn't work. That was that was the backup. Got it. And that was Malone's guy. And they went back and like I said, Masai saw it coming from a mile away. That's not Malone's fault. That's not Connolly's fault. That's, that's, that's Masai being Masai. And I mean, it's kind of Connolly's fault because you got nothing out of it. It'd be one thing if you trade back and then you got another pick, but they didn't, yeah. they got Trey Lyles, which, which we didn't need. So yeah. at that point, might as well just take OG at 13. It wasn't that early for him. Well, it was a little early. But. Well, and getting Trey Lyles was like, that was interesting because Trey Lyles wasn't exactly the best locker room guy. And it's just, it was another kind of swing and a miss on that. And, and quite frankly, you could argue that Tim Connolly's by far his biggest failure is this is this 2017 offseason there was there was just so much that happened there that just derailed a lot of what happened in the future it seemed like that that pivot point affected everything else to come and that resulted in the uh them getting jeremy grant in uh the 2019 offseason you know all these moves were because of that one offseason that was disastrous it was really disastrous well, they did. Well, they got Millsap that year. Was that wasn't that Millsap? Yes, 2017. They got Millsap, and he was good for two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Had him for four. So, I, and that wasn't horrible. Well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I did, that wasn't horrible. But then you get in the 18, and you, you, um, you get Porter, which again was good pick, I guess. But he, then he falls to us. We haven't even talked about 
the elephant in the room, which is the Porter contract. Um, <laughs> the old Bill, the Bill Simmons joke about the Tim Connolly move was that Tim Connolly saw Porter's latest back MRI and was like, all right, guys, been good. Uh, nice to see you here. Um, I'm getting out of here before you have to pay him $148 million. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a little uh, whatever gallows humor. I, I hope that Porter comes back. I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's tough. You see, I, I think there was no good answer to the Porter contract situation because you see what happened with Aiton now. I mean, the Suns, who knows what the Suns end up getting out of Aiton, maybe nothing. Um, you know, maybe they have to sign a restricted. He tried to cut a deal. I mean, I think the Suns are in a tough spot by not doing Aiton. Um, so signing him and not signing him wasn't really great. I mean, maybe if they didn't sign him, they could have got him a little cheaper or whatever this this year, but but hard to say. But I, yeah, it's it's the supportive stuff, the stuff around the edges that they're just, they're, throughout his entire tenure, frankly, there just wasn't a lot of, evidence that he's good at that he was amazing at second round draft picks you know you're getting Monte Morris and amazing at, at filling at filling needs that way um obviously the, we haven't even talked about Jokic uh you know I mean he could we could build a statue to Tim Connolly just or whoever gets credit just for Nikola Jokic right, right, um, right. But, but here we are and 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 I think that is you know you look at this most recent offseason and and it was just it's pretty frustrating I mean like mm-hmm. the the Jeff Green Jermichael Green, you say, well, you say you had to do the Jeff Green thing because, you know, they had to give away the assets for the backup centers. I you know that's just bad communication between a coach and a, and a, and a head of basketball operations. And, mm-hmm. and this goes back to all my Nuggets blog boys who are all like, so talking about how great the culture is. Okay. Yeah. The culture was good. I agree with that. That it obviously wasn't a perfect culture. A perfect culture would have had a president of basketball operations and a coach who could have communicated well enough that we didn't have to throw away assets on mm-hmm. backup centers and knowing whether or not that they were going to play or not so again uh, just a, a small thing on the edges frank and maybe the next maybe if it's calvin feels more deferential to malone that could be a good thing that could be a bad thing honestly um when it comes to filling out the roster but but i think that that'd be different but you know you end up now in the last offseason i and to me I, we would have been better off signing five davon reeds from the g league and, and, and rolling them up and seeing who played the best than than any of the moves that they made you know faku jeff green recycling jamichael like all of that was basically worthless um you know when you look at the type of basketball that's being played in the in the playoffs right now i mean davon reed was a better fit for let's say we'd ended up playing the mavericks you know or the grizzlies davon reed is a better fit for that series than jeff green jamichael green or faku Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the moves in an off year during Jokic's peak coming off of his MVP year. So um, anyway, uh, you know, this is kind of end of Tim's frustration rant, but I, I just think that if you look at that whole picture, you see something that's like maybe a new person comes in and sees more clearly that they've got a four-year window with Nikola Jokic and they got to just put the best players around them possible and focus a little less on, well, can I swing big with this, you know, miniature man from spain or the really tall skinny person from oregon <laughs> or you know like maybe i can just do maybe i maybe i have a, have a more clear objective of just trying to get people that, that work around Jokic. Well, well let me throw this out there because you bring up something and i i, I have to get this out yeah. baku Campasso was only on the roster because of michael malone okay well there you go period there's just there's just he malone was a big fan uh really 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 went to bat for fucker really went to bat um that is that is a malone thing um the a lot of different i mean if we're talking about simpatico i'm willing to bet that tim connell there's two things that can be you can hold uh, the old saying that said two things are gonna be true at the same time and Tim Connolly was Malika Malone's biggest asset, but in Minnesota, he'll be far more simpatico with Chris, with Chris Finch. Yeah. They are more aligned in basketball philosophy. Yeah. Um, and th- those two things are 100% can exist in the same person. And we contain multitudes, as people say. We do. And, <laughs> and there, are th- there are things like that that it's hard to explain. Um, I will say that the, I want to point out something and we can, I kind of want you and I to kind of debate about this. 
first okay. of all, the NBA playoffs have been terrible. Uh, other than uh, the second round, it has just been atrocious. I the the the, the, the conference finals round. Wait, just say, yeah. Well, uh, before we get this, can I just say one more thing about the personality sympathetic? Because I want to give. I, I want to contradict myself really quick, just so it's on the record for podcast future, which is. Uh, I've been silver lining Tim and optimism Tim and hopium Tim for this podcast, which I'm happy mm-hmm. to play that role here for everybody. Yeah. The thing that gives me the biggest concern about the Connolly thing is that is that the opposite of what I'm saying happens, and that Calvin or whoever is comes in and like Malone has total reigns, you know, who get to do stupid things like Faku, the Cronkies, you know, bully that bully the person and push them around to such a degree that they don't get to spend the money they need to spend, um, and. And we have a really weak person in charge uh, that that is not able to do the things that need to be done to the roster. Anyway, just wanted to say that before we moved on to the to arguing about playoffs, <laughs> That's I, felt, I felt like I needed to get that out there because I think I think that is a very legitimate concern yeah. um, for for listeners who want who you know who want to still be concerned. Well, no, it's fine. I mean, there's once again containing multitudes. There's a lot of different things that 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 we can think about because we're Nuggets fans and we're inclined yeah. to be manic depressive. And I. I <laughs> I, I want to throw, point this out to you. The reason I bring up how terrible the playoffs have been, um, yeah. particularly the finals, the Eastern Conference finals and Western Conference, I just, they are unwatchably bad. And yeah. the NBA is at a bad point right now. And so they're trying to uh, do this midseason tournament, which I'm like, eh, whatever. And it's just, it's, it's they're trying to, to shape things because they know that they're having a play issue. And uh, people are falling off because of the diversification of cable to streaming and they can't account for people who are actually watching it and, and, you know, they can't monetize it and all this stuff's going on. And there's a big contract thing coming up here very soon, which I think everyone should take a look at and think, oh, my God, we may have labor strife. (laughs) I'm just not to be Mr. Worrywart here, but it's coming down the pike and on the flip side of that, you were talking about, I mean, in the context of these playoffs and how if the Nuggets, maybe maybe if they're healthy, they are there right now. And maybe we don't care if the play style is terrible and all this stuff. I mean, I wouldn't give a crap. Um, but on the flip side of this, you brought up something that I just, I think people need to understand. And I I'm, thank you for bringing it up. And it was DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. Okay. The Ayton thing blew up in the sun's faces. And it did it in spectacular fashion. And it got to the point where Aiton is, is not going in a game in the playoffs. And his coach is calling him out on the bench. And then they're saying, we handled it internally. What happens when you force someone into a situation where they have to play for themselves is you get decisions like that. And one thing the NBA learned, and I've, I've said this over and over, and one thing the NBA learned almost, I thought in, in unanimity until we saw the Suns, was that forcing players into restricted free agency doesn't necessarily benefit you as a team. There's a lot of things that are out of your control. And one of the things that's out of your control is you don't, you don't get any say over what contract they would go out and get that you can match. Um, that's what happened to the Jazz. And you risk pissing off the player so much that uh, it causes bad things in the locker room, like with the Suns. And one thing that when you look at it, Michael Porter Jr., they gave him this contract, which I I keep telling people, it's only 140 something guaranteed. Uh, And then, of course, they got the the final year roster thing that, that can bump it up to 172. The the 206 people keep looking at is not a, it, it, I will, he will probably never see that number. Okay. They just, people need, need to stop focusing on that. But having him, handing him that number was probably a cost benefit analysis that still works in the Nuggets favor, provided that he is able to come back and be healthy. And I haven't seen anything from the sources that I've spoken to that have, doesn't indicate that he's not still on track after that minor setback that he had. Um, so that is where they're at. So that doesn't mean he can't be traded once he gets on the court. So by the trade deadline next year, if he's balling out and the Nuggets want to move a different direction, they can still do that. I think, I think people get caught up in numbers and they, and they don't really think about the, 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 the various levels of this. And I also point this out. Calvin Booth was involved in the process of, of, signing, of giving Michael Porter Jr. this contract. He is the general manager of this team. Okay. And he was this last year. 
Yeah. Just because Calvin Booth has taken over doesn't mean suddenly that uh, Michael Porter Jr. is becoming persona non grata to the fans that are now clamoring for him to be, you know, I don't know, executed. Um, <laughs> and his contract voided. Um, that is just not what it is. And Tim giving him that contract, yeah, you could say they gave him too much money, but they have a whole entire team of people that work on these contracts. They know what they're doing. Um, yes, they decided that it was worth the, the, the risk. And yes, this last year, it didn't look good. He's not even keeping hit the contract yet. But to be honest with you, um, if there is also risks of them saying, eh, screw you. <laughs> and then getting into a point where they are involved in a toxic situation. And that is the yeah. calculus, calculus you have to make as a GM. I don't necessarily agree with the number they gave. I don't necessarily agree that they should have given him that much. I was surprised when it ended up being that high, to be honest with you. But it's not exactly the thing that is going to cripple the Nuggets. Jamal Murray going down with a knee injury was likely the thing that crippled the Nuggets this last year. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I don't know that we're going to argue with this about that much. I know you wanted to argue about something, but uh, I don't. I, the Eaton thing is right, and MPJ seems like a nice guy, but certainly capable of of, of having been a toxic force on the bench um, through this year. Now. It ended up being injured, so it wouldn't have mattered. But, um, you know, hypothetically thinking at the beginning of the year uh, to worry about that. So I don't know. I, I, I was I was skeptical about the contract, but not, but for the reasons you laid out, I wasn't so upset about it. I, I think that uh, it is incumbent upon the Cronkies to pay the tax, right? I mean, that, now we get into the other issue with all of this, right? Which is, is this a sign that they're not going to spend money on other things? And, and of course, the worst case scenario to get into is you have this dead asset that you're spending a hundred plus million on that, that's just sitting on the, you know, laying down on the bench, you know, uh, getting it with the heat pad for the next four years while the concrete's refused to play the tax. Um, and, and so you have all that dead weight. Um, I mean, that's, a, that's the disaster situation during a yoga, during Jokic's prime. So I don't, I don't even want to ma- manifest that into reality um, uh, because it's like not a tradable contract then. So if they're going to pay the tax, that, you know, um, and, and, and in a weird way, it kind of gave them more flexibility um, uh, on the roster, right? Because they're they able to pay him more than they would have been able to, you know, get um, from from free agency because the weird way that, that the NBA salary cap works. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not so so down on it, um, uh, barring that. Um, and I don't you know, the, the uh, I don't know if you have anything on that. I do. I do want to kind of talk about my NBA playoffs thoughts. So and what, ahead, your, your feelings of unwatchableness. I, the first two rounds were great. Yeah. I, it's, it's kind of annoying. It annoys me that this, that the final conference titles have been so bad. And I think they've gotten, they got screwed with injuries. I think that's partially the NBA's fault. They're, they're playing too much. They need breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you lose jaw, obviously you lose the nuggets guys, you lose Kawhi and PG. And I went into the playoffs. This, there was this exciting element of the playoffs. Where it was like the first time since, uh, you know, the pre LeBron Steph era, I mean, you know, eight years, I, I can't even remember what year it would have been 13, maybe, you know, where you didn't know who the finalists were going to be. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, like, like even, um, uh, you know, last year there were kind of these surprises. Um, and now you head into this year and I was like, man, there could be nine teams in the finals. Right. I, like, I, I felt mm-hmm. like both sides were wide open. Um, and, and I thought that was really cool. And there was a little bit of an NFL element to it, right. Where, mm-hmm. where it just, it didn't, you know, sometimes the NBA playoffs feels a little bit like, you know, uh, the Batan death march, like, you know, where you're going, it's taking, you know, it takes two months for you yeah. to get to the Steph LeBron finals. We knew we were going to have at the start. Right. right uh, right. and so I, I always hated that. And so I like the competitive balance part of it. They got screwed a little bit by injuries, but the first two rounds were really good. Conference finals have been terrible. I don't know how to fix that. I mean, I did, it was the last thing that I expected was that sort of, you know, Knicks heat 1992 ball <laughs> to come back to the NBA in the Eastern conference finals. And I don't, I guess giving them more rest is the only answer I can come up with for how to, how to fix that. Um, you, you know what, I, what it is though, Tim, and it, it, this is what? why it's worse for me to them than those late nineties brawls that used to break yeah. out because at least the brawls were entertaining the this is a bunch of teams missing threes and it's just it's it's and that, that's what makes it unwatchable it to me is just as unwatchable as watching a guy back down in the post for like 10 seconds of a sock clock yeah. i it just it is it is just 
unwatchable. And that's brick, what kind brick, of brick, 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 right? Like, that's like the Mavs Celtic series has been like the yeah, Mavs have just, they have just missed bricked so many threes. And it's like, I, I just wish that there was something else. There was a little bit of diversity. And that's why thank God for Giannis last year, because you know what? He, he provided that different. And you saw uh, one of the games last year yeah, in the finals. Great. And so you, you it would have been that this year, right? I mean, the Middleton thing, the Middleton thing hurts, right? Like losing the Bucks in Middleton, right? And in retrospect, I mean, really, it should have been Bucks Celtics should have been that conference finals and and with Middleton and man, would that have been, I know it was a great series as it was, but man, would that have been an amazing series, but you end up getting, catching them in the semis, the heat, uh, you know, who have been unwatchable all year. It's unclear. I mean, I don't, I hate the Celtics. And so I was, I was always rooting for the Bucks. I wanted to go back to the finals again this year uh, with my buddy, who's a, who's a, who's a Bucks consultant, but I couldn't do it. Um, but I was like, just last night watching the first half of this game. I don't know if I texted you this, or I was just thinking of it. I was like watching, you know, Oladipo, you know, like break the backboard with his bricks from three, and you know, like Kyle Lowry not be able to move around, and there's just no movement, no offense. I was like, as much as I hate the Celtics, I'm kind of wishing that they win this right now because I just can't watch an NBA Finals with this Heat team. I mean, they're just the Heat are just uniquely unwatchable um which is unfortunate since there were so many fun teams this year right that's that's the part that is that is unfortunate about and it's not as it's not even as bad and it was bad as some of those late 90s heat teams with alonzo morning and you know and uh tim hardaway uh some of those were like they were very good but they they play their play style was was very uh, disjointed dan marley was on that team if i remember correctly thunder dan and there was there was those things that like would made it unwatchable but what it is is this it is not even just play style it is just missed shots and that's what's bugging me so i'm watching this and it's like you're watching all these teams brick shot after shot after shot and i'm like do something different Just try and get a layup for the left of God. Get to the hoop or something. Move. Yes. I know. I know. It's just like pace and space to brick. Um, brick, brick, brick. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hopefully, hopefully Giannis and um, a little bit with Anthony Edwards, um, not to trigger us with, with Minnesota. I, hopefully there's some different styles of players that are coming into the league, you know, now that bring a little balance. It's like anything, you know, the pendulum swings back a little bit um, the other way. I hope so. But I, I, it's, I don't think they need to overreact because like the first round of this playoffs was great. That Celtics net series was great. The, the, the Pelicans uh, sun series was not an example of what you're talking about at all. Right. Like it was very great. Like two balanced teams. Um, uh, it was, I thought that was a really fun series. Uh, so, and I'm open to the mid tournament thing. If they make it matter and they shorten the season, I, to me, I just think that it's very obvious that, that there's just too many injuries um, that, that they are not taking the regular season as seriously as, um, uh, you know, the, the, just the culture is different than it was in the eighties and nineties. And like, they should shorten the regular season, throw in, uh, you know, give them a real, uh, uh, incentive for that midseason tournament to matter. I don't know what the incentive is. I don't care if it's, you're paying the guys 50 million bucks or if it's like you get an automatic seed and the whatever, something that something that, that is a real incentive. So it's not just a glorified exhibition where, you know, James Harden's like going to the strip club the night before till 4am. Cause he doesn't care about the game the next day. Right. Like a re some kind of real do that incentive. anyway. He may do that anyway, <laughs> but some kind of, some kind of real incentive. I'm for, I'm for that then. I don't know. I'm hopeful about the NBA. I'm not as I'm not as grumpy old man as you. I, I I think that like it felt like this playoffs could have been magical, and it, just a couple things, couple injuries, couple of bad breaks, um, kind of made it uh, um, not as fun as it could have been. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I'll I'll gladly play the play the grumpy old man role on this because I I just I, I've seen too much basketball. Okay. I have seen far too much basketball, and then I was like thinking last night. I don't know if you saw my tweet. I'm like thinking about it. Like, when was the last time I saw a conference finals this bad? And I was like, maybe 2002 Nets Celtics, which was like historically one of the most unwatchable seat things I've ever seen. There had to be one of those, one of those Eastern conference finals when like uh, the magic had Dwight and the, I don't know, there had to, there had to have been a bad Eastern conference finals in that, in yeah. that mid aughts period somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It's, it's been, been it's been really, it's been really bad. It's been bad. And I, but even the Western conference one's not, not great. And this, and the, and I think that the, 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 the warriors are just winning by this. I don't know how I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how the warriors are winning. I don't, I don't, 
to me, they, they, they don't look the same. They don't look like the old Warriors team. They look, it just, it, I don't, I, it's not computing in my head how they're working, how they're winning. They like do this. for like five minutes at a time. They yeah. get ma- the magic clicks every once in a while. It clicked against us various times over the course of the five games. I, I think they've got the basketball gods on their side. This is my big theory. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, uh, they should have won in, we're getting all that. It's hard to remember years these days. 19 <laughs> was it night. Whenever the Raptors won 20, um, uh, the year before the, yeah, the year before the bowl, everybody gets injured. Right. And like the mm-hmm. Raptors, you know, Masai is the, is gets the basketball gods on his side that year and things fall in their, their place. And that like should have been the Warriors year. And it does feel like every, uh, you know, every series in that playoff, somebody went got injured. <laughs> and this year, every series, the other team, someone's getting injured on the other team in their favor. So mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like the, the, the fates are evening things out for them. Uh, but I, I, yeah, they look at, they don't look, they look anything like peak warriors. And, and um, I think they're very beatable against the Celtics, but every once in a while, the, the ball starts moving and Steph starts running around the baseline and, and, and kind of the magic, uh, the magic clicks. Yeah, but yeah. Celtics seem to be like they're they're, they're going to be a big favorite in that series. They, yes, I, I I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, well, I, uh, uh, Tim, we are coming nearing the end here. Before we go, after we took um, the listeners of the Mortcast through an epic journey of uh, of uh, talking about Tim Connolly to the NBA playoffs, it's uh, what we do here. Um, but I would like you to once again reiterate where they can find you on social media. Uh, where they can yeah. find you on uh, Snapchat, which is something that I only fr- un- infrequently haunt, haunt, and uh, everywhere else they can find you. Plus, once again, promote that book years. Um, yep, why we did it. Pre-order on Amazon now, please, pretty please. I need to get on the lists. So the bookstores carry it and all that. So, you know, just do one for your boy. Um, and uh, uh, I have uh, on Twitter, I'm Tim ODC. Uh, I, I do mostly politics, but also nuggets and occasionally NBA live, live tweeting. So you'll get a little bit of basketball, um, Snapchat once a week on Snapchat. I have a show called not my party scroll over there onto your discover on Snapchat. If you're 13 to 24, which is the age of people that watch this show <laughs> and, uh, search for not my it's 13 to 24 year olds, plus Jeff, plus my mother-in-law, <laughs> the people that watch the show. Um, so scroll on over there. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I, it's a kind of a weekly commentary on the news with some memes and, and ADD, uh, movie references. Uh, you know, I, I pummel the teens with big Lebowski references and elder millennial, uh, uh touchdowns to, you know, sort of expose them uh, to our to the you know great cultural monuments of of 1999 to 2005, and uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Well, you can also find him at the Bulwark. He is the editor or uh, writer at large or editor at large. Did I you know, writer at large? But whatever, okay. you can call me whatever you want. like uh, the, the the focal point for me is at large. Once again, as we found out at the beginning of this podcast. Um, okay, so that is my friend Tim Miller. Thank you all for joining us. You can find me at jmorton78 on Twitter and at csg under, underscore network uh, to find where all these posts are, and they'll remain up there. All right. Thank you all for joining us on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.